Welcome, everybody, to Sippin' and Shippin'. I'm your host, Brian Weinstein. We'll be kicking it here every other Friday, quenching your thirst for an insider's take to enhance your customer experience. So grab your drink of choice, kick back, it's Sippin' and Shippin' time. All right, welcome, everybody, to another episode of Sippin' and Shippin'. I am your host, Brian Weinstein. And with me, Caitlin Postal. That's right. I'm here. What's up, Brian? How are you? <laughs> I know you're here because I can see you. You can't hide. You can run, but you can't hide. Uh, so we have a guest with us this week, Brian Tigner from Authentic Innovations. How are you, Brian? I am good. I am good. But I bet the weather is better there than here. Uh, it's rainy and about 40 out in Ohio. Oh, no. Oh, no. We have we had a deluge over the weekend, five plus inches um, of rain. It's been pretty, pretty not great recently. Um, I don't know when this episode is going to air, but uh, for, for this past weekend, it was just not good. Gross here out on Long Island, nasty, cold. I'm ready for some sunshine on the weekend. That's yeah, what like I'm what happened? For. We had 90 plus degrees like two weeks ago. They faked us out. They lied. I was all set. I had the covers off the patio furniture. I was, I was, you know, living the outdoor life, and then suddenly it all returned back to the the bipolar springs that we seem to have year over year. Gross. Yeah, done with it. All right. So today we want to, we, you know, one of the topics that seems to come up for us a lot with brands that we speak to uh are ones that are they're thinking about getting into personalization of any kind whether that's embroidery embossing engraving or any other so so Brian, why don't before we dig into that why don't you give the audience a little bit of a background on yourself and uh you know a little, little history little tigner history <laughs> well um we'll try to make it brief uh i don't know that you want my whole life history so i'll try to condense this down to what start from when you were uh, five let's, let's just start from kindergarten <laughs> Probably my earliest memory, yeah, sledding down the hill, <laughs> pulling up the ball, down over my face because the snow was was uh, blinding me as we were going down this hill, and I was uh, certain that, you know, my father was taking me down a hill I shouldn't be going down at five. <laughs> Nonetheless, <laughs> here we are today, and uh, we have, uh, we've made it this far at least. So, a lot of my background is in uh, manufacturing originally. Uh, spent a lot of time in engineering uh, and a variety of different roles for a variety of different companies, um, primarily focused on uh, products. And um, as my career went along, kind of in a, a twist of fate, um, I ended up in personalization. Uh, and what we call personalization is essentially every order is unique. Every unit within that order is unique. Yeah. We're not decorating it with, you know, a standard, uh, design, we're decorating it with a design that may have, you know, text or something that makes it unique. And really, it's kind of what we've seen over the course of the last 10 years in the industry that, you know, people are kind of leaning towards making things more personal versus, you know, like wearing something that has a, a branded logo on it. Yeah, and that changes a lot, right? I mean, you know, so the dynamics of, I, I guess, maybe 20 years ago in, in the space where you're producing 500 of the same embroidered patch or engraving of some kind. I mean, that's a completely different animal than getting into the personalization market, right? Yeah, so, you know, obviously as technology's improved, it's made it more feasible to do it at scale. 10 years ago, talking about, you know, making every single order unique was just nearly an impossible feat at any kind of like, you know, 
scalable model for a retailer who was national. You know, obviously right. regional in many cases could be managed, but at a national level, not manageable. So that technology has improved dramatically. And I work for a company that invested quite a bit of money uh, since 2008 in a personalization model that allowed them to take order intake in a specific way that would allow the operation team to automate the entire back end of the process, essentially scan a barcode and be able to drop down from a server that exact design on that exact product, and then have an image that would show what the product is, as well as what the design is supposed to be on it, because you have to be able to QA it, right? Uh, right. At the end, you got to verify what the customer is going to get is what they ordered. So those were, you know, 10 years ago, that was a very difficult thing to do and uh, a very expensive proposition to try to get you know, custom code written. But nowadays, you know, that's become more feasible. You know, obviously, as technology has improved, resources have been put into trying to come up with what's new and and certainly what's, um, the, you know, what the consumer wants out in the marketplace. So right. obviously, you know, we get a wide gamut of customers that come in and want different types of decorating. Some of them want what we call customization. They take a singular design, they may change the color of the design, but they don't necessarily change the design. Right. And so if that's in print, obviously digitally, it's easy to change colors. If it is in screen print, that's not quite as easy to change colors because you're kind of limited to how many colors you can run. If it's in embroidery, uh, it means you're changing over a lot of thread colors. So it's, you know, a lot of change over cost involved in that. Yeah, and uh, let's, Bryce, sorry to interrupt, but, but when we're talking about this, now you started, the company I think you're referring to is a direct marketing company, right? So it was a, a little bit, I don't want to say, it didn't obviously predate e-commerce orders, but it was probably before the technology was there for e-commerce. So that that sort of lets you see the infancy stage of getting that individual personalized order and then, so out in advance of e-commerce where it's, it's really starting to grow and, and, and take traction. So what kind of steps you were still getting the, you know, there was still the, you know, there was still the Jane Doe and the, and the Bill Blass who were, who were ordering the individual items and wanted personalization. What, what kind of steps were you taking then versus now in order to accomplish handling the individual orders without having a tremendous backlog? Yeah, I mean, back then, 10 years ago, we would collect a lot of the information on interfaces for the customer that had like drop down selectable list that we could then, you know, correlate into a, a, a work order. Nowadays, it's all automated. It's not uh, handled at all internally. Uh, essentially, the interface allows the customer to see what they're going to get. So they actually can view their personalization or their design on the product before they even order it. Uh, you know, 10 years ago, that, was, that wasn't that was in the marketplace. Uh, it, it, it didn't it, exist. When did 10 years ago become a long time, by the way? Because, like, I have pictures <laughs> on my iPhone from even longer ago, and I still own, like, the clothes that I'm wearing in that picture from 10 years ago. 10 years ago was 2013. I could do the math, Brian, barely. But when I think of 10 years ago, I'm like, yeah, you know, early 2000s, late 90s. I was, I was a kid. Yeah. Exactly. Well, technology is moving so fast, right? Yeah. You know, it's it's hard to keep up with. And, you know, 10 years is a lifetime out in the Silicon Valley. So that's kind of, you know, we've been the benefactor of a lot of that improving our industry as well. And, you know, at the end of the day, we feel like we've kind of come to a point where we're now able to start to talk to other companies 
to give them some of the information and give them some of the technology that we've benefited from, but on a smaller scale and make it more affordable. And that's essentially what we're trying to do is we're trying to come up with a solution, customer-based solution that allows them to integrate to us an affordable manner and then give them good you know, production pricing, not the kind of pricing that you would receive in a, you know, a small mom and pop shop, but, you know, production related pricing that you're going to receive based on the fact that we're able to spread our cost over so many more units. Yeah. Yeah. Sounds like you were ahead of the curve, you know, 10 years ago and you say a few different words, right? We talk about personalization, which to me, when I think of personalization, I think when I go onto a site and they're collecting all my data and what I'm looking at and they're pushing me, you know, different based on what my preferences are, this is personalized. Then you talk about decorating and then you talk about customization. Um, And I guess 10 years ago, you weren't getting that. They weren't picking it up on the iPhone that I was shopping for my nephew, Aiden. But now when I'm scrolling through Instagram, there it is his initial Aiden S and my niece and nephew, their names on a nameplate. Like my mind is blown. Like no one can see, but I'm doing explosion head emoji. And like, how do you make that kind of leap to get from where you're doing select down drops, uh, you know, options to being able to really decorate and customize. And I know that's a loaded question, Brian, but how are you able to stay on top of that progression and the want to, and I know it's such a, People use it all the time, but to surprise and delight folks, to be able to add that level of of personalization. Well, I think, you know, particularly for the company that we I have worked for really was very customer centric. So it was easy for us to continue to keep innovating. Sure. Uh, you mentioned a topic that really is um, super important is really what we're seeing now is the innovation less on the back end, right? Like that's kind of solved for at this point. There's there's quite a few companies out there that offer workflow solutions beyond the one that, you know, our company had developed that are now more canned and out of the box. But what now the innovation has turned to, to your point, is more about, you know, targeted marketing and being able to create an interface that not only interacts in real time with the consumer, but also allows the consumer to not have to think as hard or be as creative, yeah. but you know, the technology is created for them. So example, uh, you mentioned, you know, that you're often targeted, your, you say niece, nephew. Yeah. My, uh, well, any, anything I say, really, I mean, it's kind of scary, but yeah, it is, <laughs> you know, you automatically see their initials on the product, which is one of the things that we're seeing companies do, right? Mm-hmm. Like they're creating their interface for their customer so that when their customer comes on, they either are collecting a customer profile you know, by metadata that they're purchasing from an, a company who's collecting it from your online usage, or they are collecting it up front when you enter their website. They may ask you just a, a small list of questions, and through their small list of questioning, they're able to then customize their entire website specifically to you. So everything would have a, a CP on it or a CMP right. on it so that when you view the He got product, the middle initial. He's getting creepy. <laughs> this is a customized guy. Yeah, yeah. I pay attention to details. Uh, so nonetheless, it, it, it really is about marketing the product in a way that makes it more consumable. But, you know, the world today is quicker, faster, better, right? right. Uh, everything has to be quicker, faster, better. And no one wants to spend time uh, shopping you know, all day to find one present, you know, everybody wants to jump online. They want quick, easy access to, you know, something that's meaningful. Obviously when you personalize something, it makes it more meaningful. 
makes it more personal as I give it to you for a gift. So we think about those things as we're designing our technology. So Brian, when you're speaking to a brand, for example, if you're going to give them guidance, what are some of the things that they should consider? It could be thread colors, stitch counts, something on the embossing or engraving side. Like, you know, what are some of the things that they should be considering when they're making a decision to either offer that out to their, on their website or not? Removing a pocket, maybe. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Caitlin's referring to a, a recent one that we were working on. But uh, I think, you know, for me, when we talk to some of these brands, I want to make sure that the solution that we're creating is the right solution for them based on what their mission is. You know, if their mission is innovation, then I'm going to likely come back with a lot of solutions that is going to put them on the forefront of like, some of the cutting edge technology that we're working on, i.e. we're creating inks that have monochromatic characteristics. So essentially there is monochromatic thermal ink, there is monochromatic hydro ink, there is even just hydrochromatic ink, which allows you to be able to like, as an example, take a tea, take a beach towel. It says one thing when it's wet and it says <laughs> something else when it's totally dry. Right. Right. So now you're personalization or customization, your design is more dynamic than static, right? So that's like something I would suggest to a company who is coming in and really is trying to get on the cutting edge of like, you know, personalization. Somebody who's trying to add on, you know, some personalizable feature to products that they already offer, and maybe they have already created a brand around and they just feel as though, you know, by making them more personal, they become more giftable. In that case, simpler is better, right? At the end of the day, this can be an expensive proposition if you let it. It can be as complicated or as simple as you might expect. But really, you know, it depends on what you're trying to achieve. If you're just wanting to make it personal and gettable, go with a few few colors, go with just a few designs. Try not to make your interface too complicated and frustrate your customer because that's not what they expect when they get onto your site. Right. right? Whereas when they get onto a site that's expected to be innovative, their minds, they're, they want their mind to be blown, right? Right. Uh, but, you know, when they're just trying to add something on to make it giftable, simpler is better. That's interesting. Yeah, it reminds me of our, actually, our second episode, Brian, where we had Robert Escobar, and we talked about personalization um, and starting, you know, considering when you're a startup, that handwritten note is nice. But now when right. you're doing 50,000 orders a month, are we calling Brian Tigner to get that machine that's going to write the name for us? Are we going to scrap it? Um, what is the cost ramification for things like this, Brian? Where do you, Brian Tigner, where do you um, step in and draw the line or give brands guidance to Brian's point on scalability of some of these ideas? Because it sounds awesome in theory, but how do you execute and what's the cost to come along with that? Yeah, I mean, often I think we found best policies just to be transparent. And, and, you know, Brian and I often talk about this, that, you know, what people want, what brands want is partners. They want people who are not going to put them in a ditch, but are going to give them realistic timelines, realistic expectations, give them realistic pricing uh, so that they know what they're getting themselves into. Like I said, innovation is an expensive proposition when you're being first to the market. And that's yep. probably stands true for any industry, right? Not yep. just in personalization, but any technology that you're going to develop uh, will take time and there'll be trial and error. I think that drawing the line is up to the brand. It's not up to me where they want to take their brand. It's up to us to offer up solutions, be realistic, and be a good partner with them. Sure. Yeah, that's fair. So it sounds like just that transparency is key, and then they can re relate that back into their cost per order, cost per unit, and make the decision, like, does this make sense? Will this really drive that experience? 
and having been in the industry for so long, you know, we've built a lot of partnerships with a lot of different companies. We can often guide them by giving them resources to allow them to go do research on their own, to draw their own conclusions, come back and consult with us. But, you know, to help guide their path, uh, we don't necessarily take them, you know, from point A to point B, we, still, we more or less point out what all the options are. And if you get down this intersection, these are resources that are going to help you guide yourself along the way. Sure. Yeah. I mean, it's a complicated decision, I think, for any brand to say, hey, okay, we're, we're now going to be able to offer this. What would be a suggested timeline? So if we're a brand and we're, we're deciding to go this personalization route, how much runway should they leave themselves from like sort of the concept inception to when they can actually bring this live? Like what kind of runway are you typically looking at for that? Well, I'll contextualize the answer first and then answer it. Uh, but as you know, uh, everyone, when they start out on a journey, don't always have the end in mind. And if right. they do, uh, there's a lot of twists and turns along the way. So, so companies really, as they start to formulate their order management system, the methodology or the architecture they use to create it often dictates how easily or hard it's going to be to integrate with you know a personalization workflow system so if you got a bigger business then they have put you know a lot of thought and to their architecture and you know have made um, significant investment in doing so then you know the uh, turn time for integration can be as little as i mean we've done its turn time with a customer here uh recently and it was probably like i don't know maybe eight weeks but fairly okay. sophisticated Right. Uh, they had right. good resources on the other end of the phone who understood their their system and could code or pass through an API the information that we need in order for us to be able to create the workflow on our side as efficiently as possible. But then I've had customers where they didn't have a good handle on their order management system and or they're working off spreadsheets and we had to start from scratch and that can take six months. Right. So I'd say probably anywhere from eight weeks to six months is a typical integration, okay. uh, depending on how complex you want to get. Now, if you're starting from scratch and you don't even have a front end, uh, I think you're probably looking more like eight months to a year yeah. uh, to be able to fully integrate, right? Because you have to be able to collect information in order to be able to give it to us for our workflow. And that collection point has to be developed and it has to be branded there's obviously out of the box solutions for that. And if you're willing to conform, you know, your business to some of these out of the box solutions, then, you know, that timeline gets condensed and your cost gets condensed. But if you want to customize those solutions, then, you know, obviously that's where the expense and the, ex you know, the timelines begin to extend. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's, that's good information because, you know, we deal with so many brands that are entrepreneurial spirits uh, and have entrepreneur leadership who want to be able to like turn on a dime and say, this is what we need. This is what our, our customer base is looking for, but it's not always that simple. And I, I would imagine the one that you were talking about that was more sophisticated may have even come from a different provider and they had done this in the past, whereas some of these others are starting yeah. completely from scratch. You got it. Yeah, the marketer and product growth October 1st. We're going to do 
customized jammies this year. We have photo shoots in, in, in Thanksgiving time. We better get this up and running. But uh, by the way, we uh, we only are on Shopify. Yes, exactly. Let's get started. Exactly. And and so, Brad, do you do you see a lot of the brands that you deal with are are, are they charging back to the customer? Uh, I, I mean, is it is it a, almost a hundred percent pass through? What's sort of the industry trend and uh, that you're seeing with the brands versus what you're charging them? Well, and I think that's partially. Uh, depends on the model. So some customers we have are commercial customers who are doing C2C transactions, right? Or B2B yep. transactions, rather. Yep. That kind of, I guess, changes the way that it works. So if it's a, you know, B2C transaction, then, you know, often what we find is the transition is much smoother because they can dictate to themselves a lot of how they're going to market to their customer. Right, Whereas right. if it's, you know, B2B, often what happens is some of that's being dictated to them. Right. So I guess it's somewhat contingent upon, you know, how they're set up and, and what their model is and who their customer is. Yeah. And there's, a, and there's a give and take when it's B2B, I would imagine, too, because for you, having more volume of the same, the same embroidery or whatever the item is, gives it will allow you to lower the price, but at the same time, they can pass that along and say, you can, you can get this from us just blank as is, add this on, it'll be this much. And it's, pr I would imagine they're, they're pretty much passing that along at a cost. Yeah. I mean, obviously, you know, if it's a B2B relationship, then more often than not, it's an industry that they know. And it's an industry that probably has MOQs or they have competitors that have MOQs and they're either trying to carve out a niche where they don't have the MOQs or they're offering something that differentiates them from, you know, their competitor. Uh, right. And so, you know, we try to work with them on solutions, but not all solutions are the same, right? Like every solution for every customer has to be different. Obviously, it'd be great to make them all conform to, our, you know, one solution. Right. <laughs> We'd all love to live in that world. Uh, <laughs> right. But that one doesn't exist. Right. Uh, it does, but it's, you know, it's a, it's a microcosm of where we want to be. Right. Uh, so I think in the end, uh, it's we find success when we offer options to our customers and ensure that you know our pricing models fit their business and their process. And you know, yep. usually there's an answer, right? At the end of the day, sitting down with them and being transparent about what our our real costs are almost always ends in, you know, a success story because all they want to know is they got a partner on this side who's going to be transparent with them and, and so want to work with them towards the same end goal. Yeah, absolutely. And and so our brands are very driven by their customer promise and the delivery time SLAs that they put out to market. What would you recommend? And I guess maybe we'll go with embroidery. What would you recommend a brand build into their SLAs in terms of time? You know, obviously there's going to be the transit time, yeah. the 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 warehouse needs to pick and pack, pick the order, pack the order. But just wondering, you know, from a uh, standpoint of actually having the personalization completed, what should they be building into their SLAs? Obviously, a lot of things go into that, as you know, and obviously everyone wants a starting point. So typically what we use as a starting point is 72 hours. So okay. from the time an order is delivered to us from the warehouse, we'll process that order and put it back 
or get it back to the warehouse to ship or we'll ship it on the customer's account within 72 hours. Now, having said that, there are customers who want, you know, 12 hour, 24 hour services, in which case we offer those. More, more often than not, what we try to do is keep things simple and not, you know, start creating layers and layers of pricing based on, you know, all these different variables that we're all trying to live through. To be a good partner, we don't want to create, you know, an accounting empire on their side or ours. Yes. Uh, trying to manage, you know, all these kind of nuances. So we try to factor in some of this variability into our initial pricing model and say, yep. hey, look, our SLA is going to be 72 hours. Your cost is going to be based on usually two variables, your units per order and your total volume for a month. And we yep. try to keep it simple in that way so that we're not trying to, you know, price out every single unit based on, you know, what its workflow was. Yeah, and I think like any service provider, right, you, you're, you're battling a little bit of spikes and volumes. I mean, to your point, you can have 12 hours as an SLA, but if then you're either A, you could wind up as the provider with people sitting around not having any work, or you could have more work than you can get through in a 12-hour period just through either machine limitations or or staffing limitations based on forecasts being exceeded so it's it's always tricky and I, I you know i can't even imagine around the holidays how that's that spike i mean i can't imagine because we're in the 3pl space as well but i you know having you have you're limited to the number of heads that you have in terms of like yeah. embroidery for example yeah exactly i think that's the benefit of really using our model us having worked on a relationship with your team and being able to put our business inside of your business gives us a lot of opportunities for us to level load our scheduling. So even if a customer has a valley in their demand, uh, we're often able to level load that with another customers. And we try to be strategic, right? And find customers that have different peaks in seasonality so that we can level load that and not have to you know, spread that cost, that fixed, what's variable becomes fixed yep. uh, in terms of labor over you know a fewer number of units so it definitely gives us the opportunity to do that based on the model we have and that's kind of the differentiator between us and probably a lot of other decorators is because we're being partnered up we're we're having the opportunity to do that where others don't yeah yeah anytime you could flatten those spikes it's uh, it's certainly helpful to an operation yeah it sounds like very similar to us when we understand a a brand's peak, just getting in front of it, understanding what those volumes look like and setting the expectations so that we're equally customer accept, obsessed with their end user, right? They are our customer, but what's the expectation so that we're not missing that? Especially to your point earlier, Brian, it was like, this is something special. I went the extra step. I got your name on it. I got the initials on it, a little emoji, whatever the case is. So I think people are more forgiving in that way um, because it is a little bit extra special. Right now, it seems like the... Yeah. Uh, Auntie, Auntie Caitlin, are you going to mention your niece and nephew's names again? No, no, no I, I've already gotten six six adverts of what I could buy from them. One of them is from 31 Gifts, so thank you for that. Uh, um, I'll have that order in 72 hours, says Brian Signer. Um, embroidery seems to be top of mind for a lot of apparel brands. Um, I know you've been in this space and your your organization has been this, in this space for a long time. So you guys do an array of things. I was super impressed to see the different offerings, tote bags, logos, handwritten messages in the in the right font. It looks like someone's writing. Um, what 
what else is out there? What's coming next in personalization? And Brian, jump in as well. Maybe you have something on this. So he's what got we're investigating, yeah, he's got nothing. <laughs> what we're investigating next for uh, personalization are things like, as I mentioned, uh, different types of ink. So there's, you know, hydrochromatic ink, thermochromatic ink. You know, there's a lot of different. Right now, a lot of focus is on, I don't know if you ever heard of um, DTF, but direct film. Essentially, what mm -hmm. you're doing is you're printing not on the product itself, but you're printing onto a plastic sheet. They call it a transfer paper. Essentially, mm -hmm. then you are heat pressing that onto a product. But the adhesives have become so sophisticated and, you know, with technology have become so good that they are equivalent in terms of their durability to like screen printing. Uh, which has kind of traditionally been, you know, the um, go-to technology for any kind of, you know, like garment printing. So the reason that's kind of been on the forefront is because everybody wants to move more towards a customizable model. Screen printing is sure. limited on the number of colors that you can have. And so this offers as many colors as you can put onto a digital file. And then the cost of it is so inexpensive. But some of the things that they're doing also in that space is they're coming up with reflective inks that really, like as an example, a child might put a reflective ink on their backpack. Yeah. Uh, not because they want a reflective ink, because mom and dad wants a reflective ink so that when they're out walking the street, they have you know an extra layer of, of safety protection. But those are kind of things that they're working on. Other interfaces that we're working on is like handwriting. So right. we can yeah. take your handwriting, digitize that handwriting, in just one order and then send you as an example if you wanted to put a a note to your grandchild on a, a baby blanket and you know i wanted that to become heirloom quality we could take your handwriting we can embroider your handwriting but when we do it we're obviously not paying somebody to set and stitch right. you know one stitch at a time what we're doing is we're using a cnc machine and, and some technology that auto digitizes that yeah. Very Let's, cool. That ink that you're talking about, that when it's wet, it shows one thing and dry another. I would have been screwed as a kid because, like, my mom, like, if you were wet, you couldn't go in the house. And if you, <laughs> we want to go in and get a snack, and she'd be like, don't you go in that house if you're wet. And I'm like, I'm not wet. And then I could sneak yeah. in. But now they, you, they can actually give you shorts where they can see whether or not you're wet. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, Get so, sprayed by the hose. Don't come in the house, you jerk. It says on the back exactly, of them. Exactly. <laughs> One of the other <laughs> kind of cutting edge technologies that are out there that we're also looking into is is trying to defeat the the problem of thread changeover for embroidery. So there are companies out there now that are essentially taking the technology that we're using to print with and they're applying it to the thread coloring. So they're coloring the thread on demand. Oh wow! Uh, so as it's being, so all thread comes in white, gets loaded into this machine. This machine sets over top of your embroidery machine, and as the digital file comes into the machine, it colors the thread. What that allows you to do, which we could never do before in embroidery, is you would be able to do pictures, embroider yeah. literally a picture onto a product because changing from one color to the next requires uh, you to be able to tie, and most commercial embroidery machines only have about 15 needles, so right. they're limited to 15 colors. So this allows you to have an infinite number of colors without any stops and allows you to really control your purchasing and really reduce your costs 
on the opposing side of you know the operation like i only have a white thread come in versus you know wow. right now we got five six hundred thread colors uh, in our inventory what is the timing of a technology like that is that something that's still five eight years out or is this something that's sooner than that oh no yeah they have it there's a couple companies doing it right now okay um and most of them are in europe they are definitely in production already wow. and they are readily available but you know the technology is still being improved like all technology the iphone that you have today is not the iphone that you had 10 years ago brian no. Yep. Uh, just so you know, <laughs> you might want to upgrade if you, you mean my Blackberry that I had 10 years ago. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I had Blackberry too. But anyway, yeah, they, those aren't the same. It's not the same. So the technology is improved, but it's not concise. Really what the dilemma is at the moment is when you change from one color to the next. So imagine this, the digital file has to be registered and indexed to know where it's at in its path as it's kind right. of like, you know, creating a design. If you have a thread break in the middle of that, it's going to lose where its color registration is, unless it has some way of like backing up and knowing exactly how much thread has passed through and how much thread went onto the product and how much thread was discarded from the product. So that's kind of the dilemma at the moment is, is they're trying to figure out and, and perfect really the registration of the color on the product. Once we figure that out, I'm, I'm sure that will happen. It's just a matter of time and investment. Once that happens, then you know, the 500, 600 thread colors that I have in inventory, thousands of dollars worth of thread will be obsolete overnight. Right. Unreal. Yeah. Makes sense I, I mean, though. You wouldn't, it's, it's just amazing the amount of innovation. So as an outsider who doesn't, who's not been in embroidery his entire life, you're like, it's embroidery. I mean, you know, how much innovation is there really going to be? But just that, I, I mean, I never thought about being able to uh, like uh, embroider a picture yeah. and not just a lo like a logo or, or some sort of, yeah, I mean, it's, it's really, really insane the amount of innovation that's going into the market. Well, Brian, I really appreciate you coming on. This was this was super, super, in, well, enjoyable one because I, I, I always like talking with you. Um, but just really the information I think that's out that that you brought out there for our audience who, you know, in some cases we're seeing more and more of this as a demand. Um, I, I think it's going to be super helpful to them as they're, you know, starting their journey down this personalization route. So thank you very much. Great spend Caitlin, you want to walk us out? Sure. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Thank you, Brian Tigner and our partners, Authentic Innovations. Make sure you tune in every other Friday on SippinAndChipping.com or on your favorite podcast platform. Have a great weekend, everybody. Thank you. Thank you.